Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at RadioIslam.com where you can review our prior shows. Radio Islam is a call-in talk show and we air every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. If you'd like to stream, you can log on to WCEV.com and check us out quite clearly. And we'd love to hear, love to hear from you. So you can call us at 312-263-4752. Follow and tweet us at Radio Islam USA. We just spoke with Khalil and Donna Demir of Zakat Foundation. And we're having a conversation tonight about the effects and the responses of Hurricane, uh, to Hurricane Harvey. So in that vein, we'd like to bring on someone who has firsthand experience as to how how the good guys get where they're needed, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have with us, we have a 20-year veteran uh, of the fire service, fire department, uh, Ahmed Sadiq. And he is a firefighter in the state of Florida. He's a lieutenant. And we are happy to have him on because he can shed some much-needed light into the thought process, the training, and the just the the expectations that those first responders have in dealing with a instance like a Hurricane Harvey. Ahmed, are you with us? Yes, I am. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullah. We thank you so much for taking the time to be with us to shed some light on this on this situation. Uh, first, first off, this is a situation that most folks would would look at and think it to be an unimaginable or something that just wouldn't happen to them. You know, they we 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 could see a flood, but not quite on this magnitude. So, being in the fire service for as long as you have, you all train for what the rest of us don't think to be possible. Is that true? Yes, it is. Uh, a lot of times, especially in the fire service, you know. It's, it's very it's, it's layered, and what I mean by layered is that the, uh, the the EOC, along with FEMA, they start their, their hurricane preparedness with almost year-round. It never goes away. Even though uh, hurricane season is from, is, from, uh, is from June 1st to November 30th, the EOC and the fire service never let their guard down when it comes to hurricanes. They may let their guard down November 30th, but the, the planning for a hurricane or any type of natural disaster is, is constantly going and is constantly, is year-round going. Mm. Now, does that, I, I would imagine that that, well, I don't want to imagine. I'm going to ask you since I have an expert on the line. <laughs> uh, d- what kind of a mental toll or, I don't want to say toll, but what does that do to you as far as uh always being in a state of readiness do you is it a is, is it a stressful existence or, or is it something that you just kind of get used to being in, being in this field uh over time being in the fire service you actually get used to it because what usually happens probably like let's see april or may you know management will start sending out memos about hurricane preparedness for for the for the station the units and and it, so the ball is already rolling pre-hurricane se- season, so you will be prepared during hurricane season. Uh, you, the, the, the fire department can't get caught with their pants down, not having a plan 
or anything in position because every most fire departments, especially ones that are along the coast in the southeast that have been hit by hurricanes, they have a, a hurricane policy that's already in place. What they do when it's a tropical storm until it gets up to a, to a hurricane watch. And a hurricane watch usually it means that it's, it's uh, 48 hours out before land contact. So that means that you have to start, you know, you have to get the station prepared. You know, all the stations have shutters. They started sending the trucks out because most all the stations have a generator. So we use propane gas, but we also have generators. So the stations are self-contained. So we always have power to be able to run the run calls. You got to make sure that all the vehicles are kept full during this hurricane season. So the preparedness and all that is already, and then on a national level, they have what they call uh, NIMS. And NIMS, and NIMS is, uh, is, 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 a, is a national incident management system, which is, which is all around the country. So every fire department has some form of NIMS training. A lot of time it, it's online or you have to go to a training center and sit down and, and take NIMS classes. So because like this national disaster, the Hurricane Harvey that happened in, in Houston, Texas and the, and the surrounding states, you, now you got to start sending in outside resources. You got to start sending the task force in from all around the country to assist and help out with the city of Houston Fire Department and the surrounding counties. Wow! So there's there's a quite quite a bit of of, of planning that goes in uh, that goes into these disaster or hurricane uh, preparedness policies. Um, what is the first thing? that the municipalities that the fire departments that are in the vicinity what was the what what is the first thing that they would have had to do uh you know the first thing they do is is they have a meeting they have a, they bring they bring in all the heads from all the county heads the mayor the mayor staff you know the fire the fire chief the the police chief the sheriff so on that level they come in and they meet and they decide what they're going to do and that's when usually if you watch TV or pay attention to the news, you see the mayor or the mayor of the city or the mayor of the county. They usually always have a press conference, and you see right behind them, you'll see all the heads, even even water and sewer, because the water, the water and sewer, the sewer system gets backed up. They got to pump the water out. You'll see you'll see the head of corrections. All the county heads, all the municipality heads, they're all behind. They all have sat down, and this and this is the plan with the mayor and his staff. So this is this is definitely a coordinated effort between uh, the various uh, branches of, of government um, or municipal or state, you know, county, you know, however, however you look at it. Um, but with it, with regard with regard to the initial response and it being I guess this is a multi-layered uh, response. So after the flooding is over with, what is the next thing that that takes place? Because the fire service. Um, a lot of people assume that it's just about putting out fires, but <laughs> I, I've seen, and I'm going to full disclosure myself. I spent a year, you know, not enough, to, just enough to get my my beak wet, so to speak. But I spent a year uh, on a fire department. Uh, I couldn't tell you nearly the the, the stories uh, that uh, Lieutenant uh, Ahmed could. But what is the next? What is the next phase? after the flood waters have gone uh, with regard to getting folks back in their home or assessing damage, allowing asses- assessors to come in? How does that look? That's, 
that's that's actually the the hardest actually the hardest part is usually like in the middle because you still have people that didn't evacuate you still have people that are stuck in that stuck in 50 story high rises that didn't evacuate now there's no power so now the firefighters got to go all the way up and carry the person all the way back down mm. uh just the cleanup the cleanup is hard because you have to deal with uh say we, we had a hurricane in here we had a hurricane in south florida None of the gas stations had generators. So now there's no gas. So how do people get back and forth to work? The, wow. the cleanup, that's a, you need to think about it. How do you, how do you get back and forth to work and there's no gas station? I got, I go to work, I leave work at 545 and I see a gas station and there's a, at 545 in the morning, there's a two to three mile long line mm. for gas. Wow. The cleanup is usually handled by the they usually handled by the federal government. They'll bring FEMA in. They'll and also too, a lot of times too, especially what's going to go on after all the water is finally going down, the power companies are going to have to send in extra linemen, extra people that come from other states to help get electricity back up because people are now are living house of flooded. They living they they living without electricity, which I I I have lived without electricity for two weeks. So no electricity, your water's probably not on, you probably don't have no, no cell phone service, and the amount of trash. But usually what FEMA does, FEMA does handle that part, and they come in and they do a good they do a good job of picking up all the excess trash. The cleanup is probably going to be the, the roofs, roof leaking, no roofs, no doors, no windows, uh, pet roaming the street. The, the cleanup is going to take a, a long time. I, I think they were saying... It's probably going to be one of the largest cleanups in, in U.S. history. Yes, yes, I've heard those uh, types of assessments. When and also and also too, mm-hmm. you have to look at too the like even if they call for an evacuation, do most people have the, the financial means to leave? If you think about it, where you where are you going to go? And right. they say the hurricane's coming. They say hurricane. They, they say once they call for hurricane watch, you got forty eight hours, right? Mm-hmm. So where are you going to go at? Most of the economics. The average household is going to be what a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to leave town for a couple of days for for a hurricane. You have you have to look at you have to look at that economics too. The leaving of the town, and then the, the worst part about it, I just thought about Harvey was the a lot of people Katrina flooded them out of New Orleans. They moved to Houston, and now they back flooded again. That's that. That's a great tragedy. That's a great tragedy in itself. That is, that you know, definitely tries your patience. Like that, your lose patience. everything, then go to Houston and get flooded out again. Definitely, definitely. And let let me ask this question. This is an emotionally, I, I imagine, uh, and just reflecting on the the short period of time that that I had in in the, in the fire service. This is an emotionally taxing uh, profession. And how do you all manage responding to emergencies and leaving your own families uh, in the midst of the same emergencies that you're responding to? That right there in itself is the greatest stress that you can have. Because when the hurricane warning goes out, now you have to prepare, you have to prepare your house for being hit by a hurricane, you got to make sure that your your this this 
uh, water in the house, there's food in the house, and the separation from 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 the family, it causes a lot of stress because a your cell phone service might not work. If you have a home phone, you might not work, and that's what that's the that's the hardest part, especially. And I know that the guys that's probably in Houston, mm-hmm. that's in there, that flooded, they probably aren't going home. They aren't going home because because most fire departments work in a three shift, a three shift platoon, A, B, and C shift. So if it happened on A shift, uh, C shift went home, came back, B shift came in. So the firefighters are stuck in the station. Nine times out of ten, they're in the city and it's flooded, they're stuck in the station. There is no going home. The only way that people probably is not there is the people that's probably like on scheduled vacation. The majority of firefighters, they actually, you actually have to get, you're probably going to get recalled. You're probably going to, they can get in contact with, they're going to call you and ask you to come in to work. And it, when it's probably a day before, hey, they probably start calling people and telling them they had to report to work and, they, and they, they have to come in. And some guys don't live in the city. Some guys live outside the city and they're driving. And that's the greatest stress. I mean, some, some fire departments who have a lot of large headquarters, sometimes if they have the facilities, they will tell the guys, hey, you can bring your family to to headquarters, and they can stay. In, they, they can stay at the headquarters shelter. Or they try to tell people to either try to get the family out of town, or try to con- convince them to go to a go to a shelter. And also, too, even inside shelters, they have firefighters. The first the first responders, they have firefighters that get assigned to shelters. So they may not go to a station, but they will go. They will assign people to go to designated shelters. Also, they would be they would be stationed at a shelter for as long as the emergency persists. Yeah, they will see you till they will see you. You'll get you can get you can get assigned to a shelter. We do that too. If something like that happens and you got people in the shelter, then we'll assign people to the shelter. Because say you have extra guys, if you start calling back all these shifts, then you have extra guys that say, "Hey, y'all need to go over there." And 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 the thing about it is, is that for the elderly people, that's that's probably. Not just the firefighters, but the elderly, the elderly people, they are the ones who are the most at risk. They they call they'll call the fire department. Hey, I can't put my show, my shutters on my house. They'll dispatch a unit. They go around to the house. They help them put their shutters on. I've been to people's houses where they were like uh, destitute, couldn't move, and we had to go and waste deep water walking in walking into the walking into the house. And, and and trying to find a way, you know, the fire, the water's all the way up to to above the above the wheel well, and we're chugging along trying to find somebody's address, and trying to get them out of the house and trying to take them to a shelter because because it's flooding and when they call for the shelter, they didn't go. So the elderly people, the people that the, the shut in and the people that stuck inside the house, that stress is probably worse than going to work because. Think about it. If you're 70, 80 years old, you're non-mobile, and you're in your house, and your house floods, then what are you going to do? Right, right. You just you'd be you'd wind up as one of those people who unfortunately uh, winds up passing or dying as a result of the you know the after effects or just being being shut in. Yes, and then think about it. What happens? Most people. They know the hurricane season starts June first. They don't go out get water, get the supplies. They wait till 
the hurricane is right on top, and then they try to run to the grocery store to get food, to get water. It's too late. It's all gone, right? That's what most people do. They wait till the day of or the day before when it's dark outside. When it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you can't see the sun. There Or some people, they don't get their medicine. So they don't they don't have the prescription. They don't have the medication. And then the, the way the day of the hurricane is supposed to hit, and then they try to go to, to, the, to the pharmacy to get their meds. That doesn't work either. So the, the stress, you have to think about it. Firefighters are going to work. They're running calls. The calls go. The, I think I probably ran like 35 calls in 24-hour time period. The calls come, call, 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 call after call. You're sleeping in your stuff. You're getting hot. You're getting sticky. You're getting hungry. But the, the call volume is probably overwhelming, and it's probably, it's probably through the roof, and they're probably going to be stuck at those stations for a couple of days. Mm. Well, and think about it. Now, you're, now, what, now, long term, your house is messed up. Now you got to deal with that. You come home, your house flooded. You ain't got no house. Right. Mm. Right. That, that, is a, that is a definite level of dedication that most folks uh, in jobs do not have. Uh, and I've heard fire service referred to as a calling more so than just a job. Um, so we definitely... We definitely have to keep those uh, those firefighters that are on the ground there that are away from their families and trying to take care of the public. We have to keep them in our prayers and, and, and pray for their uh, for their safety. So we really appreciate you taking the time out to join us. And uh, and we pray for your safety as well, because, um, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years. So uh, yeah. so definitely uh, God has been with you. Yep. So thank you very much. All right. So thanks a lot. All right, folks. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll uh, we'll keep on talking about this and and just reflecting on the the human spirit's response uh, to disaster. And I think that even in disaster, you find you find the beauty uh, of the human heart uh, within it. So we're going to keep talking about that and just hang around, and we'll be right back. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Foreclosure is hard on every member of the family, but your family is not alone. 
If you're struggling with your mortgage, there is help. To learn about the government's Making Home Affordable program, visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE to speak to a HUD-approved housing counselor. It's free of charge. Visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE today. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, NeighborWorks America, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV, 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at WCEV.com. And you can go to RadioIslam.com and review our prior shows. Radio Islam is a call-in talk show airing every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. If you'd like to jump in the conversation with us, <clears throat> excuse me, give us a call at 312 312- Two six three four seven five two, and you can follow and tweet us at Radio Islam USA. So, we've had the pleasure of talking to some folks with some uh, really big hearts, uh, people who respond to tragedy with with response, not with shock and awe, but looking and seeing what they can do to bring some relief to those who are in distress. So. Uh, that being said, we, we've had an opportunity. We spoke with uh, folks from the Zakat Foundation and with a 20-year veteran of the fire service. And I think we got an idea of some of the, some of the things that are going on in those first responders' heads. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I would say – well, sorry, let me let you continue. But No, no, go right ahead. No, I was going to say listening to um, – uh, our second guest, uh, Ahmed Sadiq. Um, you don't really, or I never think about it. Uh, you know, having to go up, you know, fifty flights of stairs to grab people because they're trapped in buildings. And of course, he said, uh, you know, of course, I know one of the things I think was Katrina. People said, like, I don't feel bad for people because they stayed. And you know, it's really some people are immobile. Some people get left behind. People get forgotten. Um, so it's not so hearing that it's, it is like disaster relief is definitely I would say needed. So hearing that I guess from him too, just like another, um, just like kind of awakening of you know really what happens when these disasters happen. Like it's yeah, you know, to think about those who are left behind it also makes me think about the the economic impact. Of, of poverty, the, the, the effect of poverty yeah. on how you're able to respond to, uh, to disaster. That was one of the most, I think, one of the most weighty things that, that he said yeah. that really stuck with me. Uh, and to your point, to have people say that I don't feel bad for folks who stayed, people who lost their lives because they stayed, and yeah. thinking that, you know, it's an oversimplification to think that they stayed simply because they were attached to their home. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, maybe these folks didn't have gas money. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the gas part, too. You know, I mean, that makes sense. There's not going to be gas stations open. There's not going to be gas for people to get back to when they get, you know, where the waters recede. And, you know, the, the, the area is literally shut down and devastated. So, yeah. You could almost forecast. I mean, as we think about this, you could almost forecast what sections of the population are going to be most affected 
by natural disaster, by uh, an, an impending or incoming natural disaster, just by looking at who makes what, by looking at paychecks. That'll give you yeah. a, a good indicator of who's going to have the wherewithal, you know, to get on a plane, to, to gas up the truck, and or who has, you know, think about the folks that are on public transportation. Right. You know, wh- what are they going to do, get on a bus? Exactly. You know? So what's funny is, is during, I shouldn't say funny, but it's interesting that the impact that natural disasters have mm-hmm. when they happen on this scale is that they make us forget about the man-made political uh, divisions. They make us forget about the man-made, the, the things which are, in essence, quite, you know, quite trivial, you know, because you haven't heard a lot about some of those other things that were in the news cycle prior to Hurricane Harvey, you know, right. and they refocus us to a degree. But unfortunately, we're still going to have to deal with those things. Right. You know, right. <laughs> they're not just going to go away. No. And so I, I guess, um, I guess that's like, when I think about like poverty and like sort of man-made attributions, um, I don't know. I, I, I never, it's one of those things where like I always get frustrated because I always, my thing is like, you know, you should have empathy, you should be kind to people, think about their perspective and empathy, A, empathy, and then B, compassion. So it's the idea of putting, putting yourself in people's shoes and then compassion for them, um, even if you wouldn't necessarily make that choice, right? And it's, you know, we're talking about like people leaving, you said like, people getting attached to their homes. It's, it's, even that uh, can be, you have to look at that from like, why, if someone, let's say, just decided I'm too attached to my house, like, why would they just not, you know, if you want to say, like, why would they not leave? It's not necessarily as simple, I would say. It's like, so I, these, one of these things come up for me. It's always like, shows me like how intricate things can be mm-hmm. or nuanced um, or just all the layers that we just don't necessarily recognize. Um, and I just, I never, know what to say other than like how do I help <laughs> Yeah, you know and even in offering assistance I think there is an unspoken there's an unspoken privilege that exists when you hear somebody say why didn't they just leave Yeah, or why don't you help right because even, with that, with, even within that there is an assumption of agency there's an, an assumption of, of, of wherewithal you know of power and the least, the least among us, as far as the, the standing that that we give them in in our society, are those who have the least monetarily. They have the least material resources, you know. So the person who is out, you know, on the corner, you know, right, right outside the studio, the folk, the person that's on the corner with the cup. If it's a disaster coming, that's the person that you you could automatically you could assume that that would be one of the people that is most likely to be to be affected, to be caught up, you know, in it. Right. So what I really hope that we do is to look at this in a larger in a larger context, not just simply about the, the disaster itself, but for us to look at the how all these things are si- situated, how how uh, economics, mm-hmm. how living wage can affect your ability to respond to disaster. Right. You know, yeah. how um, how having to work two jobs can affect your ability to respond to a disaster. Right. You know, and these are things that 
we don't often bring up into into the discussion. We just we deal with it as if it just happened. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that because I was um, listening to I think WBEZ the other day. Uh, I think it's WBEZ, and there was a woman who, you know, she lives on minimum wage. She's working uh, minimum wage, and she still has two jobs, and she's still homeless. Her kids are with um a friend who is you know, kind enough to take them in but it's this idea that like two minimum wage jobs and she still cannot necessarily find it's here in chicago um because her building closed down um due to landlord issues uh i forget the word but um they shut it down and so that left her in a position where she can't necessarily jump in and get another you know apartment so yeah when you, the idea that like living wage or minimum wage is somehow doable you know and it's true like i wish we could just say like we'll get a job that pays more i wish we could really just say that but um that's just not always the case so how do and then that does affect like how those people can a if you're making minimum wage you know i wouldn't necessarily expect people who are making minimum wage in chicago to give what they can so like any idea of like um islam we have zakat and, you know, and, like, if you don't make a certain amount of money or you don't have enough income, you're not expected to give zakat, you know? Right. Uh, so I think about that, too, whereas there's people who cannot help. So that's kind of one way that is not one more man person who can give. And maybe they can give in other ways. That's fine. Um, but then also, of course, starting yourself back up again after a disaster like that comes. Because there's not, you know, in her uh, in Texas for the her and Harvey, there's not going to be – or not Harvey, but there's not going to be – necessarily jobs opening up right away i mean there will be like reconstruction jobs but it's not going to be go back to your same skill job necessarily immediately so yeah yeah well another thing that i look at is and i think i along with everybody else that has seen these images of complete strangers driving across the country or yeah. you know coming from other places you know near and far to support uh, those folks who are affected you know by uh, Hurricane Harvey, I mean, that has been such a, it's been such a healing, a healing thing for me to see, yeah. especially in the wake of so much of the, the, the division uh, that has been, you know, just promoted um, and normalized, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you think about Charlottesville, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you think about um, this 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 movement that is going on that is really fracturing you know this idea of this this alt right um, or white nationalism yeah. uh, and how it's, it is this potential just to continue to fracture you know at the, at the the psyche and the soul of America and mm-hmm. then contrast that with these images of white men coming out and helping you know right. uh, black women you know. Uh, and vice versa, black men helping, you know, uh, Latino men, you know, whatever. It, it it really, it just, it shows us how small the divisions and the walls that we put up, mm-hmm. you know, between ourselves. It just shows how small and meaningless they are. Uh, so that's been, and when I mentioned earlier, I said the idea of, of healing out of disaster or healing that, that can come from, from pain at times. Yeah. And that's precisely what I was thinking of when I when I saw is this one gentleman he has a, a I think it was a, a semi and he drove and he 
he was going in and he was assisting. He had they had like a little uh, little team going where people in the raft they would go and get folks out the water and they would uh, ferry them over to his semi and they would get on and you know and they were just doing this all day just just getting people you know out of harm's way. Cool. And that to me I think is really the most emblematic of what Islam really means. You know, it says that we uh, we have produced mankind kind out of a single soul, you know, and from that created humanity. Right. So, you know, this that. Yeah. So I've, I've been really I've been really touched by that. Um, and I know where we're going down a, another <laughs> another road, you know, talking about the, the cost of poverty. But that's one thing that has been inspiring to me. Yeah. yeah. What was it? I think you were at uh, Zohar prayer, uh, noon prayer, basically. I think the, uh, not Imam, but like one of the speakers said something about Harvey today. That kind of reminded me of what you just said, but I, like, I'm like lost it, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, yeah. I don't know how to, I think it's not there. I lost yeah. it. I was going to okay. try to recover it at the last second, but it didn't Sorry. happen. Darn. But, but this is a, there is a there's a narration. I'm not certain if it was a narration, definitely uh, specifically of the prophet or not. And I don't even recall the whole thing. But <laughs> what I do recall was there was this continual refrain mm-hmm. within it, and it said, "There's good in this. There is good in this. Yeah. There is good in this." And each time in between that there is good in this, there was something just something really horrible took place. Yeah. But the person that it was happening to, he would always say, there is good in this. So that that type of um, that type of a of a spirit, I think that is the in essence. And it almost sounds cliche. Yeah. But I think that is really the human spirit. Yeah. Because when you look at disasters. You know, the, the loss of life on whether it's a large or, or, or small scale. Yeah. That is when you see humanity rise up and express itself in this in this most beautiful form. Yeah. You know, where it's not about your color, it's not about your ethnicity, your gender, it's not about any of those those things. It's simply about connecting and helping another human being. Yeah. So uh so even in this there's good in this. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit to hear that. It's like not your first thought, definitely not your first response. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Yeah. Certainly not. But, you know, if we were to take our trials that we go through and allow those things to identify us or to define us, mm-hmm. then they would they would definitely turn us into bitter people. Yeah. But instead, what we get to see is that we're not alone. When we're in need, we see that there is another human being that, that is ready to, to help and to receive, to elevate us, to, to you know, to sometimes just to, to give us a hug. Um, and and that is a uh, and that's what I think we're witnessing right now, and what I hope and what I pray for is that that spirit it doesn't leave us when the waters go away, yeah. You know that we can still have that kind of compassion for you know for that for that mother who has to work two jobs, you know for that for that uh, for that elderly couple who is living on a fixed income and has to make a decision between you know their medicine and food. 
You know, if we can have that type of compassion, the same kind of compassion we, we have right now where we're willing to dig down and dig, dig deep into our pockets and spend our time for the relief of our fellow human being, yeah. if we can do that then as we're doing it now, then I think we'll definitely be on the, uh, on the way to some real healing. Definitely. Yeah. So that's my speech for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, keep going because we actually have like two minutes. <laughs> no. Well. So we're going to, uh, this is, tomorrow is, is Eid al-Adha. This is the, the celebration of the sacrifice with uh, regard to our prophet Ibrahim, or Abraham, if you are a non-Arabic uh, speaker. And we go into this, into this day, into the celebration, mindful that we must love God and serve God uh, and hold God in higher esteem than we hold anything else. And if, that, if there's anything that we take away from the story of Ibrahim is that his faith and his obedience to God was greater than anything else, and his faith was rewarded. So we pray that our faith is rewarded. We pray that, we pray that our righteous deeds, our, our acts of kindness, of connection, uh, our recognition of our fellow human being, we pray that those things are rewarded and recognized and, uh, and given to our credit. So... We'll be back with you next Tuesday. Yeah. Monday is Labor Day. Tomorrow is Eid. Uh, matter of fact, uh, as Muslims, we know how to party, so we got three days. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll be back on Tuesday, and we pray that you all have a great weekend. Uh, we'd like to let you know, well, we won't even make the announcement about the interns. We don't have a lot of time, but you've been listening to Radio Islam. We air every day, 6 to 7 p.m. on WCEV 1450 Check out today's show and all the rest of our shows on SoundCloud at Radio Islam USA. The executive producer of Radio Islam is Abdul uh, Abdul Malik Mujahid. Our audio engineer co-host uh, has been Olivia Richardson. Uh, the show was produced today by yours truly, Tariq El Amin. And the thoughts or the words and comments that have been made are not necessarily reflective of the viewpoints of sound vision and are those of the host or the guest. So pray that you have a great weekend. This is Tariq El Amin signing off for Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be with you.